Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park. Online at letstalkfaith.com. A service of the Salem Media. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. So the fourth key truth that Jesus gave about the church is that the church has been given the authority to declare. That's an important concept, to declare who enters and who is excluded from God's kingdom. We declare it. That sounds like a pretty radical statement, doesn't it? But there's a big difference between declaring and deciding who enters God's kingdom. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been serving since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He's been teaching from Matthew chapter 16 for the past couple of weeks about the nature of the church. Jesus said to Peter in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. In verses 18 through 20, Jesus made several important statements about the nature of the church he was about to begin building. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will begin his final three-part message as he approaches the conclusion of this series of studies. Let's get our Bibles now, and here's Pastor Steve. Well, let's open our Bibles once again to Matthew chapter 16. We've been studying this passage for a while. Today we are going to conclude our study of this passage, but I want to read the entire section to you. Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 18. Jesus said, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. We have come to our 10th and final study of this magnificent passage of Scripture, and it is perhaps the one that we will find the most challenging to interpret. And the reason I say this is because we're going to be focusing on the last few words of verse 19 in which Jesus said, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Although all of our previous studies have had their interpretive challenges, this one is really unique. And it's unique because of the language used here, the way this verse is worded. The expression binding and loosing is totally foreign to us today. Nobody really uses this, although Bruce Mills told me that he bound some people. He's a police officer last night. So some people, I suppose, use this. About the only people who use the words binding and loosing in any sort of, I should say, a religious context are those in certain charismatic churches and circles who use these expressions in spiritual warfare with the powers of darkness, believing that they have been given the authority to restrain Satan and his demons. They bind them by verbally forbidding them from carrying out acts of evil. And when they declare something to be loosed, they believe they are commanding that object to be released in order to bring a blessing, such as uh, 
the case of money that is needed. They would say they loose that money to be needed or that job that is desired, they, they loose it. Now, binding and loosing the powers of darkness may be a popular concept within charismatic circles, but is this what Jesus was talking about when he spoke of binding and loosing? And the answer is absolutely not. Not at all. Listen, if that's what Jesus meant by these words, then we should expect to read about the apostles doing this very thing in the book of Acts. But we don't. We should be able to find numerous examples of the apostles unleashing all kinds of verbal assaults on Satan by binding him in their ongoing battles with evil. But we don't read of a single incident in Acts where any apostle, or for that matter, any Christian, ever said to Satan, I bind you as a strong man binds a thief who breaks into his home. Nor, I might add, do we read of anything like this in the New Testament letters where an apostle says, this is what you ought to do in dealing with Satan. No, we don't read that at all. We read in Ephesians chapter 6, take on the whole armor of God. We don't read about binding, nor do we read of a command telling us that God will meet our physical needs if we just lose something on earth. We don't read of anything like that because that's not a biblical concept. See, the the concept of binding and loosing has absolutely nothing to do with either spiritual warfare or having our material needs met. Then what did Jesus mean by these words, to bind and to loose? Well, even though at this point in our study, we may be unfamiliar with these words and you may not know what these words mean, there is something important that you do know about these words. Terms. So we begin to discover the meaning of this by focusing on what we do know rather than what we don't know. And what we do know at this point is that these words, to bind and to loose, are found in a passage of Scripture dealing with the nature of the church. That's important because it tells us that these terms have something to do with the nature of the church. That's the context. That's the setting. That's the flow. So we have a clue as to the correct interpretation. Remember, this is the passage of Scripture where Jesus first introduced the concept of the church to his disciples by revealing to them several key truths about the church and the nature of the church that he was soon to bring into existence. We've already looked really at length at three of these key church truths. First, we have seen that the church is built upon the solid foundation of the word of God in the sense that everyone who comes into the church comes believing the same truth about Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And that's precisely what Jesus meant when he said, I say to you, you're Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. The rock-like bold proclamation by Peter in the early days of the church concerning the gospel. So the church is built upon the solid foundation of the word of God. Secondly, we saw that the church is under Christ's sovereign headship. He said, I will build my church, meaning that he's the one who's going to bring about by his sovereign power, the the conversion of his elect, and then he'll rule over them. He will build it. It belongs to him. 
He will be Lord of the church. Then we discover that the church is indestructible and will never die because Jesus said in the gates of Hades will not overpower it, meaning that the power of death is not strong enough to confine believers. At the resurrection, all believers will be raised from the dead to be in the Lord's presence. Now, I point out these truths to you and remind you of them because although, as I said, we may not know at this point what Jesus meant by the words binding and loosing, we do know based on the fact that they are mentioned in the setting and context of our Lord talking about the church, they must have something to do with the nature of the church. And we can be even more specific than that. We know that the words binding and loosing must have something to do not with the church in general, but with the subject of the authority of the church. Now, why do I say that? Well, if you'll recall from our study we discovered that the fourth and final key truth about the nature of the church has to do with authority and the keys of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus gave to Peter. Notice the beginning of verse 19. I will give you, still speaking to Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, as we worked our way through our study last week, we noted that the basic function of a key, the essential function of a key, is to open or to close a door. That's the way keys functioned back in ancient times. That's the way a key functions today. However, when keys are mentioned in a biblical context, they also carry with it the concept of authority. They speak of authority because the person in charge of the keys had the authority to admit or bar someone's entrance into a place. Therefore, based on these observations, we came to a clear understanding of what Jesus meant in giving Peter the keys to his kingdom. Simply put, He meant that after his resurrection, Peter would be the one to open the door of salvation to both the Jewish people and the Gentile people. And the book of Acts affirms that. It affirms that's exactly what happened in Peter's life. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached to thousands of Jewish people in Jerusalem. He preached the gospel and the door opened to the kingdom whereby 3,000 Jewish people entered the kingdom by trusting Christ as Lord and Savior. Also, we saw that in Acts chapter 10, Peter was summoned to preach to a Gentile man by the name of Cornelius and his family, and he preached the gospel to them. They trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, and thus we say that Peter opened the door to the Gentile world. So in proclaiming the truth about Christ and salvation Peter used these keys of the kingdom to open the door to heaven. However, I want you to realize a very important truth about these keys and one that enlightens our understanding of this entire 19th verse and especially the very curious words, binding and loosing. We need to understand and remind ourselves that the authority given to Peter by Jesus wasn't only to open the doors of the kingdom. That's what we focused on, but that's not the whole picture. Remember, in a biblical context, those who have been entrusted with keys also have been given the authority to close the doors as well in order to prevent people from entering. That's precisely the kind of authority that Jesus gave Peter. And as we'll see today in the final key truth that Christ revealed about the church, we've also been given the same authority. You'll understand as we go through this. So the fourth key truth that Jesus gave about the church is that the church has been given the authority to declare. That's an important concept, to declare who enters and who is excluded from God's kingdom. We declare it. 
Now, once again, let me read verse 19 to you and we'll delve into this. Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now, as I've already mentioned, the concept of binding and loosing is directly related to the authority that Jesus gave Peter in giving him the keys of the kingdom. But listen very closely to what I'm about to to tell you. Although the expression to bind and to loose sounds very strange to us, very unfamiliar to us, binding and loosing was a very well-known phrase and concept among the Jewish people of Christ's day. You see, to bind and to loose were common terms used by the ancient rabbis to declare, note this, what was permissible for the Jewish people and what was forbidden to the Jewish people. In other words, when the rabbis declared something as binding, they were declaring this to be forbidden by God. And when they declared something loosed, they were declaring this to be divinely sanctioned and allowed by God. So when you think of binding, it is synonymous with forbidding. And when you think of loosing, it is synonymous with permitting or allowing. Here's how one scholar explained these words. He said, to loose and to bind were very common Jewish phrases. They were used especially of the decisions of the great teachers and the great rabbis. Their regular sense, which any Jewish person would recognize, was to allow and to forbid. To bind something was to declare it forbidden, and to loose was to declare it allowed. End of quote. Now, in the normal course of Jewish life, when the rabbis would bind and loose something, it was always in relation to the law of Moses. You see, because the law of Moses didn't always spell out the precise details of how every divine commandment was to be observed, the rabbis were constantly then called upon to make decisions regarding how to apply biblical commands. And these decisions were handed down as authoritative binding and loosing regulations. This is why, for example, the rabbis came up with so many rules and regulations concerning what activities were forbidden and permitted on the Sabbath. You see, from their perspective, God simply told them no work on Saturday, no work on the Sabbath. But from their perspective, he didn't define what activities constituted work. So as a result, they passed all kinds of rules, most of them very, very silly, as to which activities were forbidden or bound and which activities were permitted or loosed on the Sabbath. So in telling Peter that he has been given the authority to bind and loose, Jesus was using an expression that would not have sounded strange to Peter. He would have understood it. It wouldn't have been foreign to him at all from Peter's Jewish background. He would have immediately recognized that the Lord was giving him authority in the ministry of the soon-to-be-formed church. The question is, what kind of authority? Was it the authority like the rabbis had in making all kinds of decisions? Now watch this. Since the keys of the kingdom of heaven gave Peter the authority to open the door to Christ's kingdom by preaching the gospel, then the concept of binding and loosing continues along these same lines by giving him the right to declare who God allows into his kingdom and who he excludes. 
In other words, Jesus is telling Peter that he is giving him binding and loosing authority to declare the divine terms by which God allows entrance into or forbids exclusion from his kingdom. It's not that Peter is saying, okay, you're in. Nope, you're not. You can be in. You can't. He simply declares what the word of God declares. He declares the divine terms by which God allows people entrance into heaven or excludes them based on the gospel. See, in in this context of Matthew 16, the concept of binding and loosing has, has nothing to do with the apostles and Peter making authoritative decisions regarding daily Jewish life like the rabbis did. Now, that's not to say they didn't do that. They certainly did. They, they made decisions as to sound doctrine and practices that, that were to be observed in the church and what was to be forbidden by Christians. They certainly did do that, but that's not the point here. That's not what Jesus is telling him here. His point here has to do with the gospel message that opened the door of salvation up to the world. In other words, just as Peter was given the keys to open up the kingdom by preaching the gospel, he also can use those same keys to declare by the same gospel message who is excluded from the kingdom. And since, as we discovered, that the heart and core of the gospel message that allows people into heaven is what? The forgiveness of sins by God then we can conclude that Jesus is also using the terms binding and loosing in a similar way. That is to say, for Peter to say that someone's sins were bound meant that they were still unforgiven. Why? Because they had not accepted Christ. They had rejected the gospel. And for him to say that someone's sins were loosed meant that they were forgiven by God because they had accepted the message of the gospel. Now, the reason we know this, the reason we know that the concept of binding and loosing has to do with declaring whose sins have been forgiven and whose sins have not is because of two other related passages of Scripture that shed light and clarification on our Lord's words here. And the first passage of Scripture is in John chapter 20. It'd be good for you to see this. John chapter 20, verse 23. In the verse Just before this, Jesus said, this is after his resurrection, he is revealing himself to the disciples as the resurrected one. It says that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that he was giving the Holy Spirit to them then. I think he was simply saying that the Holy Spirit is coming. And when he comes, and he did come on the day of Pentecost to indwell them permanently, they were going to have a very important ministry. That ministry is spelled out in verse 23. He said, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, their sins have been retained. Now, it's important to understand that Jesus was not, and I repeat, was not telling the apostles that they would have the authority to absolve or forgive anyone's sins. That's that's really heresy. This is where the false teaching that Roman Catholic priests can forgive sins comes from. But that wasn't at all what Jesus was teaching. We know that from the rest of of Scripture. No man can grant divine forgiveness that, that right belongs exclusively to God. You can forgive someone who sinned against you, but you can't forgive the sins that have been directed towards God. That right belongs exclusively to God. This is verified 
in Matthew chapter 9, when the Jewish scribes accused Jesus of blasphemy, they said, because he told a paralyzed man that his sins were forgiven. They said, speaking of Christ, this man blasphemes. Why would they say that? Because they thought that Christ was only a man. And men didn't have the authority to forgive sins committed against God Almighty. But they were, they were wrong in the sense that Jesus was more than a man. I mean, they're right in the sense that men can grant divine forgiveness, but they're wrong because they thought that Jesus was only a man. Jesus Christ is a man, but he's also fully God. And therefore, he has every right to forgive someone's sins. However, neither Peter nor the other apostles could forgive anyone's sins. The Lord is simply telling the apostles that in the days to come, because of his death on the cross, they will be able, note this, with certainty to tell repentant sinners that God has forgiven them their sins because of the gospel. And they will also be able to boldly declare to unrepentant sinners that they still retain their sins and have not been forgiven by God based on the gospel. Now, the second passage of Scripture is even more helpful than the first, and that's found in Matthew 18, just two chapters over. It's even more helpful, I say, because it uses similar language, and it's, it's in, the, in the general context, and it's written by the same gospel writer. It talks about binding and loosing. Now, notice, chapter 18, we break in at verse 15. Jesus said, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. If he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now you can see, as I said, that even the language that's used here in verse 18 is similar in that Jesus uses the expression, once again, of binding and loosing on earth what has already, he said, been bound and loosed in heaven. And the context of these words is the church, after going through the painful but loving process of confronting a sinning member who refuses to repent of their sin, now must discipline that member by declaring them excommunicated from the church. This is called church discipline. You put a sinning member out of the church because why? Their behavior indicates that they have never been converted. Church membership is for those who have been converted, those who know Christ. This person, after repeatedly being confronted about their sin and hardening their heart, indicates that they are not believers. They never were to begin with. They don't evidence true salvation because they're so hardened. That's why Jesus said they are to be looked upon by the church like someone who is a Gentile pagan and an outcast Jewish tax collector. They were both in that day considered unbelievers and therefore outside of the fellowship of God's people. Jesus is using the word Gentile in the sense of a pagan Gentile and a tax collector as a man who is so corrupt that he couldn't possibly be a believer. 
both unbelievers, therefore outside of the fellowship of God's people. And that's why Jesus said that the entire church had the divinely given right to declare to an unrepentant individual that he was still bound in his sins, meaning that he was lost and unforgiving. And why? Because he was acting that way. Treat him like an unbeliever because they're acting like an unbeliever. And if they're an unbeliever, then they are still bound in their sins. They have never truly been converted. Therefore, they have never truly been forgiven by God. The tense of the verbs Jesus used, shall have been, is critical, isn't it? Another way to say it might be, whatever you bind or loose on earth already will have been done in heaven. I hope you can join us for the next verse-by-verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff brings us the second part of this three-part message, the final one in our study of the nature of the church. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside, and we are deeply grateful for and to the generous listeners who give above and beyond their regular church giving to help keep these Bible classes on the air. If you'd like to know more, or if you'd like to listen to previous broadcasts, visit versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. If you went to the doctor not knowing that you had a deadly but curable disease, would you rather that the doctor told you about it and offered a cure? Or would you rather he told you that you were healthy and sent you blissfully on your way? Well, to know that I had a potentially fatal disease would 